Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Hello, everyone. Welcome to Down with D&D for another week of excitement and and also us. And uh, I'm here as I am, have been for the last five weeks now uh, with Teos Abadia. Hey, Teos. Hey, Sean. I'm, I'm calling in from deep in the jungle. I've been exploring for <laughs> weeks, uh, running low on, on rations. <laughs> is how are you i'm just getting in the mood for this i i i i know portland's rough but wow that's <laughs> oh i got we must be. we've had a few days in the 90s we're all dying here send aid <laughs> i was gonna say yes the uh the the demonstrations have stopped because the temperature rose above Actually, 85 is not that impressively it? so it's still, still yeah. portland strong but yeah okay cool <laughs> well you know stay safe out there Teos. Right. uh we, we you need to do a remote uh, remote uh, recording from downtown Portland. That's right. So uh, we are going to talk for the third and final time about exploration this week to cover the topics of how to give your players choices and consequences for those choices, as well as covering overland travel in detail. But first, let's have a little bit of our news and notes section. Um, the first I'm going to let Teos uh, cover. Yeah. So the Gnomecast, which is a podcast that's part of the Misdirected Mark network that we are part of. Uh, Gnomecast had a really cool interview with Keith Baker. Jared Rasher runs the show. And he talked to Keith Baker, the person who designed, came up with the Eberron campaign setting. Uh, reviewing Keith Baker's latest DM Skilled uh, book is, is, is like a too soft a term, an amazing book yeah. called Exploring Eberron. Yep, so 250 pages of goodness. Yeah. Uh, as Teos mentioned, it's now Adamantine on the DM Skilled. And uh, so if you check out that interview, you can catch Jared. Uh, Jared's a great interviewer, great uh uh, blogger, great podcaster. He's uh, uh, always talking to us on the forums at forums.misdirectedmark.com about what we talk about on the show. So I always love to get his feedback and you can hear him and, and Keith talking about that book. And you took, had a chance to kind of read over some of the book, uh, Exploring Eberron. Yeah. What, what did you, what did you think? I, I've ordered the hardback because uh, you can get this in beautiful print. Uh, so that hasn't arrived, but I have the PDF uh, and it's great. And, and, and in the interview, Jared asks Keith about the book and, and Keith really says, this was an amazing opportunity for me to create the things for the setting that I could never quite get into an official product. Like either it got cut or, you know, some other reason like that, that just couldn't fit these pieces in. And that includes covering the oceans and man, that whole thing, like they're these enormous submerged beasts that give off dreams uh, that are mm -hmm. just superb. Uh, he gives amazing insight into playing the different races that are major in Eberron. Like just the, the thing on changelings is is fantastic. Uh, like there's this mm -hmm. art of a changeling holding like, you know, a male or female outfit and kind of like, which one do I go with today? And yeah. there's just a lot yeah. of really neat, neat stuff in there. Uh, like they, they do the history of Eberron and they'll put in character ideas for how the events of a particular era should resonate with your character today. It's just, it's mm -hmm. great. And it's useful for anybody. It doesn't matter if you're a player or a DM, just good stuff. Yeah. And, and as we talked about either last week or two weeks ago, you know, it's great that the DMs guild's available for, for specifically for, you know, people like Keith who have created something uh, that wizards owns the rights to, but now they can put their spin on it or, uh, you know, as you said, add, add their content and, yeah. You know, we've both worked on hardcovers now for Wizards of the Coast, and we, we understand that not everything we write is going to get onto the page. And it's not cut because it's bad. It's not cut because it wasn't up to snuff. A lot of times it's cut just for space. Um, so, uh, you know, Forgotten Realms kind of went through this with everything's on the Sword Coast, right? Uh, for fifth edition everything you know it's like okay we go from water deep to baldur's gate to neverwinter to baldur's gate to water deep and then oh we're, we're gonna shoot up dicewind dale oh we're gonna go down to chult uh but yeah we 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 never really get out 
you know, we haven't seen any huge Thay products yeah. or, or products like that. And, and similar for Ebron, right? There's, there's all their Sarlona. There's, uh, there's so many other Zendric, cool places. Yeah. yeah Zendrick and, and the Arganessa and, and, and all those, uh, those other areas that could, you could have a whole setting book just there. And, and so this is sort of what Keith is doing here. You know, he's expanding, he's putting in some of the cool stuff that he's worked on. That's just never quite made it. And, and now uh, Eberron fans have a chance. So Man, it's a hopefully, book. yeah, hopefully at some point uh, in the near future, we will take a deeper dive into exploring Eberron and, and talk about everything that's in it in greater detail, what we like, you know, how we would use it in campaigns and, and so on. But uh, we just don't have the time for that right now, so we uh, we have several topics that we we want to talk about. So we'll we'll get to that at some point. Uh, the next little bit of news uh, I wanted to talk about was the UA subclass article. They had uh, two new subclasses, and I wanted to talk just go into detail on one briefly. Um, we're not going to cover take a whole show to cover it. But I just wanted to run through it uh, and touch on a few things. So the first one was the College of Spirits Bard. And uh, this is the bard that, not surprisingly, based on the name, talks to spirits. And the spirits sort of lead them. It, it's kind of the bard version of the path of, of the ancestors yeah. uh, for, uh, or barbarian. for the barbarian. Yep, yep. So, you know, this this bard is in touch with the spirits and sort of uses uh, they, they use gaming sets, basically the article says. So there, you know, tarot cards, dice, different ways to contact the spirits and have the spirits lead them. Uh, if we're going to break it down mechanically at third level, they get guiding whispers. It makes the guidance, a bard cantrip, which the bard automatically gets and instead of being a touch uh, cantrip, the guidance uh, from this bard cantrip can be done at 60 feet. Uh, I'm okay with this. I'm not a huge fan of guidance in general because I think it's just one of those things that becomes an automatic go-to. Oh, you're going to do something. Wait, here, guidance. Um, I, I'm a fan of the flavor of it, but not not of the spell and and i feel like bards already have bardic inspiration so this is just sort of it you know you cast guidance and then you give a another another die it's it's just kind of more of the same yeah, I agree. Um, I, I i would i would love to see something else there other than that uh the at also at third level they get a uh they can begin to use as their spellcasting focus these different objects, a skull, uh, a, a, a deck of cards, that, that sort of thing. All I can think of is Hamlet with, uh, <laughs> oh, with the grave digger down. Yeah, alas, poor York, I knew him well. Um, you know, talking with the spirits. So at third level, you can get that, use those tools as your focus. And then at sixth level, now this, is, this was weird to me. It says at sixth level, you can cast a bard spell that deals damage. Uh, when you cast a bard spell that deals damage or restores hit points through this spiritual focus, roll a d6 and you gain a bonus to one roll of the spell equal to the number rolled. I have no clue what that means. I can guess yeah, what that yeah, means. Yeah, th th there's some wording tweaking that need to happen there. But um... yeah, I, I assume it reads you, you roll a d6 and you add either the hit points regained or the yeah. the the uh damage dealt but it's that's it's, just it's a lot of it's a lot of to do for maybe you know you roll this d6 and you get a one and so now it doesn't matter or you roll a two it's a big whoop or you know like you replace a one with a two like it's just it's a yeah mm. i i have yeah i i have no i have no idea what they're trying to do uh so ho hopefully that will get sorted out uh when feedback is taken in. Yeah. Uh, so also at third level, you get a feature called tales from beyond. Now this is, this is, this is really interesting to me. Uh, I'm all about simplicity in my rules. And so my, my natural reaction is as soon as I see something that becomes really complicated, I'm like, I don't want it. Uh, but I, I put that aside to look at this. So while you're holding your spiritual focus, you can use a bonus action to expend one of your bardic inspiration 
and then you roll on this spirits table, uh, spirits tales table, using your bardic inspiration die to determine the tale. So there's a table with 12 entries. A, a bardic inspiration die starts at a D4, goes up to a D12. Um, and so instead of just giving that die to a character to use for whatever they would generally use, they're rolling this die, or you can do it on yourself, and then you get the ability of whatever the tale is that you're telling. So, for example, if you roll a one, you get the beast tale. You recite the tale of a clever animal. For one minute, the target has advantage on wisdom perception checks and advantage on attack rolls against the creature if another enemy is within five feet of it and that enemy isn't incapacitated. Um, the, the wording's a little bit confusing, but you see what the, what the deal is. And there, there are 12 of these things. Um, so it's sort of a little mini wand of wonder <laughs> that, that you're getting something from. I love the feel of this. I love the flavor of this, right? A spirit overtakes you and you tell this story and, and it affects someone so much that they gain, gain this stuff. Yeah. Uh, the implementation, the execution is very unclear and, because it's, yeah. it, it's weird because you, you're doing something and you're giving some, someone a power, but then they are using that power. So it's kind of a two layer approach. Some of them are things that last forever, like, or not forever, but last for a long time. You gain, um, you gain temporary hit points or the person that you give this to gains temporary hit points. So that seems to start immediately and go on. There are some things that seem to start immediately, like until the end of your next turn, you uh, become invisible or until you attack a creature. So it's unclear whether that it happens right away or if that becomes an ability that can be turned on at some point in the future. And then there are some things that, like the original one I read, that lasts for a minute. So does that start right away, or does that start when the cre when the character that received that power decides to start it? You know, it's it's this weird. There are some things that happen immediately in combat. There are some things that can be triggered later. It it's it's kind of a mishmash, and it it doesn't yeah. quite clearly state when it takes place. And I love, so, I like you, I love the concept, this idea of tails and the tails have teeth because of this table, right? The tail of the right. dark spirit, the tail of the giant, like these are neat. But I, one thing I really hate with anything mechanically, and, and I, I use, I tend not to use hate, but I feel strongly negatively about is whenever I am gonna expend something, in this case, my bardic inspiration for a very uncertain result. And mm -hmm. especially if that result could be this is useless or doesn't work, right? Like if right. I might want one of these things to kick in, but there are no enemies in the room, but most of these deal with enemies. And so right. I can just waste it or I have to breathe fire on my friends. Like why would I have told the tale of the dragon and caused us to right. immolate each other? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's, if you're going to do it, I know people love randomness, uh, but, not everybody does. And a lot of people want to know what they're, like you said, they want to know what they're getting for their money, right? I'm spending this. I want to know what it's going to do. Yeah. Um, I would almost rather just see a, a shorter list. Um, if you, if you're, if your die is a D4, you can do this one thing. If your die is a D6, you can do these two things and go up from there and let them choose. Yeah. Let them choose. Um, one thing that's that, interesting that becomes, too is bardic inspiration normally cannot be used on yourself. And so right. then this suddenly breaks that and I'm not sure kind of why it's chosen to do so mechanically. Yeah. 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 Cause it took me a while to figure out it. It's a, like a four paragraph little intro with all the ifs and ands or buts. And it only says at once and it's parenthetical. Uh, you choose, you can use an action to choose one creature you can see within 30 feet of you. This can be you. <laughs> it took me forever yeah. to find that, to see, Hey, can you do it for yourself? Uh, so, so that's there. Needs some work. Love the flavor. Love the idea. Um, needs to needs to come together a little bit rules wise. Um, there's also something called spirit session. At sixth level, you can channel spirits to gain insights into magic. You can conduct an hour long ritual channeling spirits using your focus. Uh, when you're done, 
depending on the number of people who joined you in this ritual, you can learn a spell from a different class spell list up to a level of the number of people who were doing this ritual with you. And then there's a few other things. You have to be able be able level to cast it. Um, and it has to be either a divination or a necromance spell, necromancy spell. Um, again, interesting. I love the seance feel, right? I love that we're going to do a seance and summon these spirits. Uh, I, I like the I like flexibility of of getting this, you know, you, you get a spell, but you can only get it for a brief time and you have to sort of work your way up to it. What I want to know is it takes an hour to do. Does that count as a short rest? I would assume no, but they're going to need to spell that out. Uh, cause, cause that's the, you know, payoff versus do I, are we going to let the barbarian heal using hit dice or are we going to drag them into this and since you're ritual bard could you like do your song of rest for uh, right. during sh the short rest the barbarian wants to take while you and the cleric do this ritual probably not but it doesn't say so yeah right yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of things and you know th this is the hard part this is where the wizards team's earning their money right because anybody can just take a subclass that's already there and swap out fire for cold or swap out this ability for that ability but when you start to create things like this this is the hard part right this is where you have to answer those questions you have to make it an elegant uh but still useful ability that players are going to a want be like so it's it's tough. Yeah, and, and and you know, Wizards gives us a window into this process when they're partly done, because they're in many ways taking the temperature of how we feel about things. So rather right. than they could take this particular feature, or any of these features we've talked about, and they could refine it to where it's great, the language works, yeah. it's balanced, all that, and then present it to us, and we might say. We don't like it. <laughs> so here, yeah. here they get to get that feedback midstream and then they can do all the tweaks or just dump the entire thing. Well, this nobody liked this concept and there's no reason to tweak it. Right. Yep. And, and that's, as you said, that's the reason why I am very forgiving of, you know, something that's unclear because this is more, more or less, how do you feel about it rather than, you know, parsing the language like I've been doing. Um, but I like to parse that language yeah. just to show people how hard it can be to create these things. Yeah, and it's because yeah. it's so hard to get that the 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 deep sense, right? To where you read all these features and you go, "This is exactly what this bard's about," mm -hmm. and and that's that's a challenging thing to do. And the best subclasses really pull that off, right? They really say, "Here's what this person is focusing on and doing." Yep, and. Uh... So the final one is at, I think it's at 14th level. Um, your connection to spirits has become semi-permanent. Whenever you use that Tales from Beyond feature, which lets you roll about, uh, about those uh, spirit, spirit tales, uh, you can roll a D6 and use it instead of expending a Bardic Inspiration die. So in other words, you don't have to expend the die. You can roll a D6, but you're only going to get those first six tails. You're not going to get any of the more powerful ones that are seven through 12. But why uh, does it say you still use your Bardic? For the yeah, and, but, but then the next, oh, the next line, mm -hmm. the next line is weird because as you can still use your Bardic Inspiration die for the tails effect without expending it. But you just said instead of expending it in the previous one, so I don't know what what what's up with that but. i see so the oh I, I i get it so so the table already took into effect that the later the higher rolls are better because right. they're because you roll a die equal to your bardic inspiration die so you won't always have right. access to all these and then that feature is saying well you can get one of the first six for free yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. But, th but then the next line says you can still use your Bardic Inspiration die for the Tales effect. I'm like, okay, that makes sense because if you want a higher one, let's roll to see if we can get a higher one. But then it says without expending it. Well, if you're not going to expend it, then why not just roll it anyway? Yeah. Who, yeah. So, so it, it's kind of, it's kind of unclear. Yep. But you know, overall I, I, I don't hate it. I, I like the flavor. Um, I just, it's the hard part is always in those details. So uh, we'll see what the general feedback is. And, you know, I don't know if the survey is up yet for giving feedback for this, but if it is, uh, 
head over there if you've read this and uh, leave your feedback because that's what they need. They need um, as many people as they can voicing their their opinions. And maybe uh, next week we will look at the second one, the undead warlock. Hey, speaking of surveys. Yeah. So Dungeons and Dragons dropped what they called D and D Survey 2020. Oh yeah. And that thing is huge. <laughs> Yeah. I definitely want everybody to fill it out, but set aside some time to do so. I, I, I made the mistake yeah. of doing it like, you know, when my family wanted me for something. I'm like, uh, uh-huh. I'll, it'll just be a little bit longer. And they're like, you know, I just kept saying that <laughs> yeah. to them for an hour. <laughs> right. No, yeah, it, it took me, I took it pretty quickly and it took me, I think, at least 30, 35 minutes. Yeah. Um, so, so pack a lunch. <laughs> But definitely give your your feedback. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up because I forgot. Um, you know, super important, right? To what what they're going to be doing. They want to know how you are how you use the game. Yeah, and it had um, not you know it has the kind of typical what editions you start with, you know, what kind of things. But then it really dealt with digital products a lot, which mm-hmm. was very interesting and seemed to suggest digital tools that they want to offer. Right. And it's funny because a lot of people online were like, well, how I've played has changed because I play online now. So what good is this? Well, they ask that in yeah. the survey. They specifically say when you play in person, how, you know, what do you use? What tools? How do you play? When you play online, what tools do you use? How do you play? So it's there to to touch on both uh, aspects. And it's another so opportunity to vote for Dark Sun as your you know, next as, world you want to see. As your fa- as your favorite world. That's right. Uh, one other little thing it, we don't have to get into, but it, it's made a lot of rounds on Twitter is that they have a section where they ask about various designers and how it yeah. influences your kind of decision to buy. Like it's sort of if this name was on the cover and it's a fascinating list of names yeah, from dead, you know, famous creators, right. Dave Arnes yeah. and Gary Gygax to uh, folks that, I wouldn't have expected wizards to put on the survey like Jonathan. Right, like Rob, Rob Heinsu. Yeah, Rob Heinsu worked yeah. on third edition, but maybe you know. I think they were trying to choose the names that are most likely to register, really across the base of people who play. And when you when when you're like in today's Twitter world, there's like a set of names you think of, but when you really mm-hmm. look at like what your average person, your average gamer is probably not on Twitter, not on the D&D Facebook page or any of these other things. Mm-hmm. They see what's on products. And a lot of these names are names that have been in products over and over again, right? Fascinating. Yeah, yeah it, it was, it was really fascinating. And uh, yeah, I, I, I was shocked. I, I did a, hmm, yeah. When I saw that question. But uh, it so, also made me yeah. somewhat happy because some of those names are just, uh, you know, like Rob Heinzu is just, I, I think the world of him is just as a person. And so that's neat right. that Wizards is even thinking still about these folks, even when they've made products that are sort of competing, right? So it's great. Right. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And the last bit of news, you wanted to mention our buddy Sly Flourish. Yeah, Mike Shea, uh, this is just a quick mention that his latest post that dropped on Monday was uh, how to run Descent into Avernus. And, and he is working through the chapters as he runs his various groups. He often runs two groups through an adventure. So he just gets a lot of experience that he can pass on and how to do this. And he's done guides for most of the major books. Uh, and this is another thing that I would say, if you're running Descent into Avernus, you don't want to miss what Sly Flourish covers on, on how to make, especially in this article, he talks about how to make the story compelling for players. And it's really good to, to read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I took a quick glance at it and I, I'm i particularly interested in, in how he got through chapter two for, for personal reasons, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> but also uh, a previous uh, edition of this show covered most of that book so if you want to go back and look at some of the uh previous uh episodes we do talk about up to about you know chapter three or so about running it so yeah that's good uh, Good you can check those out as well and now let us move on with our main topic today which is part three of our exploring exploration and so to just to recap we talked about the three pillars, combat, role-playing, exploration. And 
decided that exploration is probably the least comfortable for players, DMs, and writers. Uh, there, we looked at specific types of exploration, how to try to do them well, and how to combine exploration with other types of encounters to make them more memorable. And in this final episode, we are going to ask a few questions and hopefully answer them. How do you give players choices and consequences in exploration? How do you use exploration to tell a fun story? And how do you handle overland travel as part of that exploration pillar? And I'm going to let Teos take the reins here, and I'm going to just chirp in every once in a while. I think you're saying that I should be the navigator. You, you should definitely be the navigator. We've done this now for three episodes. I'm going to just make exploration jokes. <laughs> yeah, the whole time. Uh, the whole time. So, yeah, one thing that resonates with us, you and I as designers, is we see that when you give players choices, it makes a vast difference in the appeal to the players. And that is a key part of the exploration uh, pillar. And again, as we said before, exploration is not just travel from A to B. It's everything that involves this kind of engagement. And so when there are choices, when characters have uh, the opportunity to succeed, to gain a reward, to see consequences, that really registers with players and creates a good relationship that pays off throughout your campaign. So when I'm designing and I'm tapping into the exploration pillar, I think of the world as open rather than a tunnel. And even when the design is linear, like we're going to go to a market, we're going to learn a room about a dungeon, then we're going to go into the dungeon. I'm creating many choices. You could speak to anybody in the market. Uh, various different people could give you the information. You might learn it in different ways. So when you design that way, you create this sort of open experience that gives choice and the choice feels tangible. They chose to go to the armor merchant or the map maker, and then it plays out differently based on that. Yeah. And I just wanted to, to touch base here, just kind of give an abstract about what uh, one of my points of game design, uh, which is covered here. And that is, the world can be as open or as confined as you like uh, as, as a DM. And the story that, that you're telling with your players within that world can be as open or as confined as you like. Uh, but at some point, there has to be a confinement of mechanics and rules. You need to always be thinking of cool ways to use mechanics to move the characters through the world and through the story without resorting to just pass-fail. You know, you, you want to do a thing um, you want to think of different ways to allow the characters to do that thing. And then the cool stories that will move the game forward after that. So you, you don't want to be exploring a dungeon and say, okay, there's a door there that's locked and, oh, you cannot open it. Well, then you cannot go to the rest of the dungeon, right? You want to avoid that sort of confinement but you still want there to be a confinement of consequences that are uh, decided or triggered by how they go about doing the tasks they need to do. And you can use that situation to cover almost anything in the game, uh, whether it's a combat, whether it's a story, whether it's a role-playing scene, you can always think of it as I'm going to be as open as I possibly can but within that openness, there has to be degrees of success that allow the story to move forward, but there to always be consequences based on what the characters, what the characters decide to do and how well they do it. Yeah, and that success and failure talking about it, it when I was, a, especially as a, as a younger DM in my high school years, like I, I always thought of that as like life or death, right? Just hit point right. loss or gold pieces. And it doesn't have to be at all like that. It can be uh, just anything that's reinforcing that a decision was made and that the choice mattered. Um, mm -hmm. And it can be just very small things in terms of picking up a clue or uh, getting some reinforcement about a plot point. All of that can help, right? You're talking to the guards because you think that if you were to fool them, you could gain access to something. And they give you that a tip that says, yeah, you would get access to that thing, right? That's Players love that. Like, yes, I learned that piece from them. I know that we're on the right path. Perfect. Right. Right. And I mean, or it can be as simple as character A loves beer. Right. And so because they failed at this one thing, uh, his favorite beer, 
either the barkeep has has cut him off, <laughs> right? It, it's it's a very yeah. small, tiny thing, right? But it is a consequence because they failed that uh, they failed that uh, persuasion check with the with the mayor, yeah. right? So the, the the story didn't end there, right? The mayor still gave them the information or still yep. sent them out on the mission, but the mayor went over to the bar yeah, uh, no bar and said, "No more for them." I love it. Or no more for him. Yeah. So you know, that's a consequence, not game changing, not life or death, but something very small that continues the story. When I think about, you know, we, we I, on Twitter, you and I both kind of posted tweets to say what works, what doesn't around exploration. And, and there was a lot there that, that came back, especially from DMs where exploration just can often end up in a situation that's not fun. Um, and it's very important that the exploration be fun. The engagement should be rewarding. It should be stimulating. It should be fun to watch for the DM, fun for the players to participate in. And so to, to kind of do that, you want to think of it in terms of how you engage the players, how that interaction is going to pay off. Uh, what can I add to this room that the players will want to interact with? Uh, and it can be really simple, really obvious stuff. We talked about last episode, you know, room with kobolds in it, and there's just a big, huge lever in the middle of the room. Someone's going to want to pull that, right? Like, just, that's fun. Um, and even if they don't, it's still going to be fun. They're, they're going to be thinking about it as players. Like, oh, man, we didn't pull right. the lever, right? Uh, right? What can be revealed? What's going to happen as a result of that engagement? What is the payoff? Uh, and you can just put anything in a room and ask yourself these questions and it'll start to, to come up with those ideas that will end up being fun. How do the choices matter? When it comes to traps, the, seeing that traps are not a punishment mechanism or a hit point robbing device, uh, they are exploration. You want engagement. You don't just want, oh, you perceived it, never mind, there was a pit trap, you're done. You know, you, you see the pit trap, uh, the lid is closed, what do you do? Maybe there's something in the pit. Uh, maybe there's a lever in the pit. You actually need to get into the pit, right? So you can do, you can engage people through devices like traps. When in doubt, I always ask myself this question, what would a, mov a movie or a novel do? Yeah. Movies and novels do not give you boring things to interact with, at least not the good ones. Uh, they <laughs> skip to the neat things and they put in these kinds of engagement pieces, right? You think through any Indiana Jones piece, those things that you see in a room are there to be messed with, they're gonna play a role. Mm -hmm. You know, there are huge statues of Egyptian gods because they are going to be toppled, right? Like there are mm -hmm. snakes on the right. floor for a reason. Like all of that is put in there to create this engagement. Yeah. And it's it's some people might think it boring um, to to do certain things. Like if this novel goes into this long backstory, may, at least make it about the characters, right? Not about something outside of the lives of the PCs at your table um, because then at least you're giving these details um, and you're giving the players some, some grist for their, their role-playing mill or their storytelling mill uh, when you, when you add those details. And like a novel, you want to focus on exciting pieces. You want your scenes to tell a story. Like uh, my wife has worked in film. You do not create a scene randomly. Every scene, the, the backdrop, the, the location, like this is thought about very carefully, right? They have people who go out and, and take pictures of all the possible places you could film something and they choose them for reasons to, to, stealth, to, to sell you on this concept what's taking place. So you think of what's your establishing shot when you imagine this scene, what is it that's being told here? What's the reason for it? What are you going to engage with? What stories are going to be told through that? And what's the payoff at the end of it? Mm -hmm. And even in fiction writing, you're still doing that, right? You, you are still looking at everything through a lens. It's the lens of the narrator. The reader cannot see it. But in your description, you might zoom in, yeah. right? Zoom is, is, is a literary tool as, as much as, as a uh, visual tool. Yeah. So... Yeah, absolutely. I want to mention here uh, on this subject of, of how to, to transform your view of exploration. Um, on, uh, there's a, a person both on Twitter and on YouTube, Zyperon Disney, and they have a series of really good videos that are worth looking up on YouTube. And we'll have a, a link in the show notes, uh, show notes. And one of them is a video on exploration. 
And he talks about the cycle of presenting a scene, players reacting, DM reacting to their reaction, presenting new information based on that and repeating this. And this idea of this cycle is a very valuable one to think about. It's not just finite design, but you're putting things that can be messed with. How the players mess with it then drives how you continue to play out that scene. Mm -hmm. and, and the best DMs out there, if you watch them, they do that, right? They give only a certain amount of information. They don't give the 12-page the explanation of everything in the room. They hit the highlights, and then the players go over to the altar. Then you can zoom in on the altar and react to those players. So, you know, that's, that's great advice, even outside of exploration, just the terms of back and forth with players and DMs. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So shall we dig into overland travel? Let's do this. Let's do we this. We talked before about how a lot of uh, DMs and players as well, when you mention the exploration pillar, this is what they think of, but it's, it's really just a small part of it, but it is a critical part because it comes up and it has very arcane rules that are actually mm -hmm. spread across several places. <laughs> yep. um, overland travel is not only moving across the map of the world, it also can cover moving in a large dungeon or under dark setting or other situations like that. And it need not be on foot. It can be in vehicles or flying or all sorts of things like that. But it is a place, it, it is the, the, the set of rules that cover when you're crossing large distances. Mm -hmm. um, the mechanics get into all kinds of things like getting lost, how many hexes per day you cover. Those mechanics I think can be a trap a bit in that that part is like a mini game. And if all you do is play that mini game, there are much better games out there. Yeah, that's a great point, right? That's a great point because it's just what we talked about. It's is that really the coolest thing, right? You get to travel three or four hexes in a day. Is, is that, you know, what your players are going to be talking about at the end of the session? Oh, we got to cover four hexes <laughs> instead of three right. because we went faster. We couldn't stealth, but uh, we did go faster. So boy, good on us. Yeah. Now that's not what they talk about, right? Absolutely. And, and so that is the, while it's good to know these uh, rules and we're going to review them here, uh, they're the least important part. It's what you do with it and how you weave a story around this framework that is good. And so let's kind of pull back and say, before we get into the mechanics, what's the goal? So there are a number of goals that overland travel can help us achieve. One is reveal the map. This is tying us into the primal stories of exploring the unknown. When we were in class, we're learning about history and we hear about these explorers. Um, you know, we're heading west, right? I live in Oregon. <laughs> uh, Marco Polo, right? Uh, Dante's Inferno, right? Example of Avernus, where you're traveling through the layers of hell um, and exploring all of this. And this is, this is even more important when you say are using a homebrew world uh, for the players, because if you're, if you're playing in the forgotten realms, the players can go online and within 10 seconds, find 32 different maps uh, over the editions of, of the world. So they know what's there, but if you're using a, if you have new players who, who haven't done that, or if you have a new world that you're uh, presenting to your players, this sort of revealing the map can, can be, like the coolest part of the game, right? Yeah. Uh, the, the volcano that they didn't know was there that's erupting now. Yeah. You know, that, that sort of thing. But yeah. Um, it's a change of pace, which is really nice. So we, we tend to do a lot of D&D is enclosed encounters, minutes on the clock. And then we go to a totally different scale of hours or days at a time in this open wilderness. And you can see how novels and movies do this, like Lord of the Rings, all those travel scenes. Right. They enable right. them to tell stories on a different scale, like they can show the training of the hobbits. And because we know it's a long time now, it makes sense. Right. There's a different pace. Right. Yeah. Um, it's a different feel to overland travel. There are different challenges. So things like camping under the stars, setting watch, uh, or, you know, do you light a fire? Right. Mm -hmm. These kinds of questions that can be really neat, sort of even spooky. 
natural hazards, right? There can be a mudslide or heavy rain, things like that. Survival, do we have enough food? Orienteering, getting lost, right? That's a very different type of, of, of uh, game and, and, and a really neat experience. Uh, major choices, there's a fork in the road and one of them's less traveled. Um, do we travel off the road or on it? Do we go through the swamp filled with undead, uh, according to the legends, or do we go through the ash-covered volcanic pass? Yep, and, and those are those are great things for both, you know, player choices, but also story. Uh, you know, the the players can can really debate this, and and they can use it to tell their own character stories, um, as as long as that's what they're into. But what you want to avoid, and again, you just need a little bit of forethought here, is no consequences for any of these. Are, do you travel on the road or off the road? If, if the only difference between traveling on the road and off the road is it takes an extra day to get where they're going, then it, it really doesn't do anything for the story or the game uh, unless there are consequences. And the consequences are something that the players at least can guess at. Yeah. Um, to, to become part of the conversation. Yeah, if you think of Lord of the Rings, right, they make those choices like, do we go through this frozen mountain pass? Do we go through the mines of Moria? And those choices, they are significant, uh, mm -hmm. quite epic, but they also are an opportunity by which the, the DM, the novel, the movie, tells us uh, about the land, right? Mm -hmm. What it's like. Uh, cultures, borders, terrain changes, climate, festivals, um, the vegetation, the types of monsters that are around, the, the fates that befell nations, like all of these things come out based on those character choices. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you, you make a good point in the show notes here about uh, like the different nations and towns in Storm King's Thunder, right? Now that these giants are rampaging, what, what does it mean for all of these different places. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's a great way to, to, to explain the world as, as you're traveling through it. Uh, so all of these are kind of our high level goals, right? And, I, and hopefully these to anybody listening sound super exciting. And so what you again, do not want to do is then just end up turning exploration into, oh, you wanted to move two hexes south, but you got lost and moved one hex east. Like that is not all these things we just talked about, right? That, that does not give you the goals. Right. It needs to be a framework under which you're then choosing to tell the pictures, but let's, let's review the mechanics. And um, mm -hmm. we are going to do so here uh, to, to some extent, but I think maybe you and I have talked about, we've talked about, we might create something here that's a, a helpful guide uh, for people mm -hmm. and, and release it. Okay. Yeah, that would, that would be, uh, I would think that might be appreciated. I know I would appreciate it. Me too. Uh, I mean, I had to do a lot of research to, to look through this and it really is interesting how things are in different chapters. It's not all in one place in one uh, way. Uh -huh. and, and, and I've looked at a number of good guides uh, and, and those I would say even don't always cover everything. So, so I think it'll be useful when, when we do that. Uh, yeah. No, yeah, yeah you, so, you, you can continue. So here's the process <laughs> for overland travel. You start by breaking out the map of the world and saying, here's where we're starting. You're starting location. And the scale of a hex map is generally one hex is one mile or one hex is six miles. That's per the DMG. But you can change that. And in fact, Tomb of Annihilation has 10 miles for each hex. So it's pretty big. Um, one thing to keep in mind is it makes the math harder when you change the scale, which Tomb of Annihilation does. Mm, of course. Uh, next thing you want to do is you want to determine the weather. This gives you a feel for what the day is like. Uh, and it's pretty cool. You roll three on three different tables to see your temperature, whether it's hot or cold or normal, your wind and precipitation. The results can have teeth. So extreme mm -hmm. cold and heat imposes saves and can give you exhaustion. Exhaustion can be a very difficult mechanic, uh, especially because mm -hmm. there are other things in exploration that deal with exploration or exhaustion. Uh, strong winds affect ranged weapons. Uh, they can affect perception, hearing. Um, you can't fly unless you have magical flight. Uh, in the desert, you have sandstorms and, and any terrain can sort of modify these rules. Right. Then precipitation. It'll be interesting. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what they do with uh, Icewind Dale yeah. 
with blizzards and and all of that yeah. that sort of thing yeah and but, do yeah. they whether they will go into exploration the way that you know tomb of annihilation did yeah. be interesting uh precipitation yeah. can also obscure it gives you disadvantage on site so if you have strong winds and heavy precipitation you have disadvantage on all forms of perception um, so that establishes your weather and i like this a lot as a start because it gives me a way to begin to tell that story of what's happening today uh, mm -hmm. and, and, and basically I, and my notes will make a note like, okay, they're going to be really strong winds at some point today. And then I'll make that point to introduce that. Maybe it's during an encounter, maybe it's before it, you know, whatever. Uh, mm -hmm. so now we get to the player side in that the players select roles and there's a whole piece on player's handbook page 182 or so, um, that tells you about the party roles, whereas the weather is on dungeon master's guide page 109. So we choose our roles and the important one here is the navigator. And this is a character that's going to be involved in plotting the course of how everybody travels across the map. Right. The biggest thing to note here is if you have a ranger, the rules will change. And so we'll, we'll talk about that here. Um, yep. Other roles include, include noticing threats, drawing a map, tracking and foraging, and those can all play um, a role there. The Outlander background has a feature that they automatically find food and fresh water for themselves and five on other, others in suitable terrain. There are DCs and the Dungeon Master's Guide, page 111 for foraging. But the main thing about navigating is you're trying to not get lost. If you're a ranger and it's your favorite terrain, you can't get lost. That's very handy. Um, but otherwise, you have an opportunity to get lost that's going to come in. Um, you also are going to choose a pace to travel. And there are three paces you can go at in the player's handbook, page 181, fast, normal, and slow. And as an example here, to get a feel for it, you can, on your typical six miles to a hex map, you can carry cover four hexes normally, slow is three, and fast is five. Uh, and that does make a difference over time. When, when I ran Tomb of Annihilation, you know, it, it made a big difference that because of having a ranger with this favored terrain, they could go pretty quickly uh, and that, mm -hmm. that'll affect things. Um, yeah. If difficult to, if, if the train is difficult terrain, like thick jungle, then you're moving at half speed. So that really makes it much slower, but rangers in their favorite terrain, ignore that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it can be worth considering house ruling rangers a little bit. If you are in a, in a, you know, if your world consists of a particular terrain very strongly, you may want to sort of change that up. So in, in my home campaign for Tomb of Annihilation, I sort of had the player pick a region of the map that they knew about. And that was the region in which they got these bonuses. But the rest was right. unexplored and unknown to them. And, and, and then they, they behave more normally. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I was going to say this later, but it's probably worth saying now that I think it's really good in a session zero for your campaign or the first time you start to do overland travel pause and ask your players how gritty and realistic they want things to be. When I talked to my players, they were pretty clear. We do not want to be starving or out of water or scrounging for stuff. Yeah. Don't want it there. It was unanimous on, on a survey that I did. So, okay. We took that out. And so having a ranger was actually really perfect here. It's like, you're never getting lost. We're just going to assume you never run out of food or water. And we're not going to worry about things like, you know, unclean water or mosquitoes or anything. And just, we're going to focus on cool things along the way. And that's good to know how much your characters want one way or the other. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that makes every difference, right? Because if they don't want that, then all the stuff we're talking about is sort of. Yeah. You get to hand wave, you get to change it. Uh, and, yeah. and you can even hand wave all over, right? You can just like uh, Mike Shea in reviewing Descent of Avernus chapter two, he says, uh, I like to put one encounter in between any two places that they travel. Mm -hmm. That's a totally reasonable thing to do, right? You were traveling. Here's what you find halfway across, right? <laughs> yeah. Gives you some color, yeah. tells a story, and you move on. You can do that too. Uh, but I think yeah. hex crawling can be fun. There is something to be said, and I think Tomb of Annihilation is a great example where you really are sort of, it's like a, you can, one of my friends actually did this, painted over the map of Cholt and scratched away individual hexes as they explored. And it's really fun to sort of uncover things and find a lost city or find a tall peak or, you know, things like that. Right. Um, one of the things to keep in mind when you're doing overland travel is mounts. They are, the rules are sort of not what you'd expect for most mounts in that they um, give you fast pace for an hour, 
but you have to have new mounts available every eight to 10 miles to keep that up. So if all you're doing is riding horses, you basically get an hour of fast for free, which is kind of nothing. Um, right. Ships are different. Ships give you their speed, uh, the, their, whatever their speed is with no penalties or benefits from fast or slow. And then what really breaks everything is flying mounts. And what right. will especially do it is if your characters can conjure mounts. So if you have a druid who can summon flying creatures several times a day, they can jet through the Tomb of <laughs> Annihilation map. Um, yeah. Because a flying griffin that flies at 80 can travel eight miles an hour. That's 12 hexes. Wow. Uh, so In when we're day, talking yeah. about, you know, normally it's four, this is, you know, two if it's fast, if it's difficult terrain. So thick jungle, two hexes, now you're traveling 12. Um, so that's a lot. And so if you can conjure multiple mounts, it just, it goes away. And, and, and so you have to think through that mm -hmm. and talk through that and decide how to play that. We did, we yeah. had a conversation about that. Right. And again, it's, it comes down to consequences for, for actions chosen. If they get there fast, they're up in the air. What else is up in the air? Dragons. Yep. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's, there's always the, always give a choice and always give consequences for it. Yeah, and you can plan for it. One of the things I do when I'm running is, is as they start getting to the levels where this is possible, uh, you, you, you want to think about how to give people hints because they can miss things, right? One of the problems when you go very quickly from one, you know, teleporting, for example, from one place to another, is you don't get to see all the things in between. And some of those things had important plot points and clues and Right. So, so you want to not miss that. So finding ways to route them back to these important locations through rumors or, you know, someone they meet in a, in a particular place, a guide they hire, things like that. Sure. Um, so let's get back. So that kind of sets us the possibilities of your pace and how you travel, what you're going to do on that daily basis. After you figure out the, the weather, you're going to ask the navigator and, and the party how fast they want to go. Uh, the navigator is going to make a wisdom survival check to not get lost. How often you make that check is up to the DM. <laughs> Tomb of Annihilation mm -hmm. says once per day. So, you know, feel free. I think that worked pretty well. Um, yeah. There's a DC. Tomb of Annihilation adds additional DCs for different terrains. Um, and you get a bonus or a penalty, depending on whether you're going slow or fast pace. If you have a good map, you have advantage. Ranger, you can't get lost. Uh, so you roll and see whether you get lost. If you succeed, you know exactly where you're going in the map. And you get to kind of, you know, plot out your map. And I do recommend having a physical map printed out that players can draw on. That's a lot of fun. I would unroll that for each session with Tomb of Annihilation. And it was great fun to kind of mark things off. Um, if you fail, you inadvertently move in the wrong direction and become lost. And the way this is kind of easiest done is you roll a D6 because it's a hex. That's the random square you determine where they went to. They don't know they're in a different square. They just simply don't know what square they're in. So they do know they're lost. They could have theoretically gone in the correct location, one out of six chance, uh, but they don't know. And then you have to repeat the check the, at whatever the rate is. So it could be the following day, or if you want, you could have some event happen and maybe they end up back on track. Uh, usually once they get lost, they'll stop. Um, because they don't want to go in the wrong direction, but they could theoretically continue moving on and hope that they're going in the right direction, but that's a bad idea. <laughs> uh, then the, the other big part of this is determining random encounters. The DMG is actually quite, I like the advice here. It's, it really does a good job of saying how often is whenever it makes sense. Mm -hmm. And they say, if you want to check, randomly consider doing it once per hour once every four to eight hours or once during the day and once during a long rest so they cover a lot of options they do not nail you down to one thing yeah. their role is a d20 18 or higher as an encounter yeah. uh you can the dmg talks about how to create random encounter tables xanathars provides them by each biome uh on page mm -hmm. night two of xanathars so uh, I, to me, random encounters can be great. They can be a nice departure. I wrote about this in my blog the other day, uh, last week. Um, I like to use them to tell stories. So to me, it's important that the random encounter, this is an opportunity for you to do what a novel or a movie does. 
right? Mm -hmm. Something has happened while they're traveling this day. Let's have it tell a story. Let's have it fit into the larger encounter. And so yeah. even if you're ad-libbing and rolling, take that opportunity mm -hmm. to do so. Yep. Even if it's a random encounter, it's still a story uh, important encounter. Yeah. Yep. The last part of overland travel is food and drink. Uh, if you are, unlike my players, willing to do with these kinds of rules of <laughs> tracking your rations and so on, then the player's handbook, page 185, tells you you need a pound of food a day. You can, makes it a little complicated, you can go half day without food. Or without food. Um, so you can kind of go half rations. And then you can go without food for a number of days equals to three plus your con modifier. So if I'm a plus three con, I can go six days without food. But whenever I reach my limit, I have a level of exhaustion. No check, just gain exhaustion. Normal day of eating resets the counter. So it's not too hard to, for adventurers to get past that. But you know, if you have someone with a plus one, that's four days. It could happen, right? Um, sure. If you're really bad at foraging. Or at the very least, what it does is it kind of forces some engagement to, to be like, well, okay, I'm going to forage while we travel instead of keeping watch and being alert. Mm -hmm. uh, water is a gallon of water per day, uh, two if it's hot. If you drink half amount or less, uh, actually, if you drink half that amount, if you drink half a gallon, you must make a con save DC 15 or you get a level of exhaustion at the end of that day. If you drink less than half a gallon, you automatically take a level of exhaustion, no roll. So it has a lot of teeth, right? Uh, the other thing that's a really yeah. bizarre kind of rule, if you already have exhaustion from some other reason, you, uh, you take two levels of exhaustion. Oof. Uh, and then, and then you start moving at half speed, <laughs> yeah. which doubles the time. Yeah, it's yeah. it's pretty rough. No es muy bueno. Uh, <laughs> avoid running out of water. So this is the food thing. It's kind of like ah, but the water. Oh wow! Like that's you yeah. run out of water, and you very quickly are facing some serious trouble. Um, there are mm -hmm. things you know, like your good berry and all that kind of other stuff, and foraging that can make up for this. But uh, you know, you're the DM. You get to decide whether. Uh, this is an area where there's, you know, maybe you're in the desert. There's no water, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing that foraging, foraging covers a certain number of people. So you may need several people to forage. And there's that chance if you need to cover multiple roles, you could fail at foraging and not get quite enough. So it can, it can be something to experiment. But again, do not get bogged down in this as a mini game mechanic and forget the larger story of it. Have it be a small piece of your game that adds this little bit of flavor about making it through the tough, environment and then mm -hmm. get back to the larger story um, yeah tomb of annihilation has dehydration rules as a spec special check at the end of the day because that area is so hot and it has rules for fresh water so you can tap into those if you want a little more information it also reminds us that traveling with any kind of mount requires or beasts or companions they must stay hydrated too um, rangers in favored terrain, again, it's awesome. Twice as much foraging with a success. And you can also still be noticing while foraging. So mm -hmm. love your ranger. Keep them close. Yes. Uh, the last thing is to keep in mind is at the end of the day, you've got to take that long rest. You need six hours of sleep over an eight hour period. The other two hours have to be light activity. Xanathars has your rules for removing armor, uh, page 77 to 78. If you want to get technical about, you know, armor. Mm -hmm. Uh, and wake them up in the middle of the night when they're not wearing armor and things like that. You can only do one long rest for 24 hours. You regain all your last hit points. And something that many DMs forget, you regain right. up to half of your spent hit dice, not all your spent hit dice. Yeah. So the question I always have about that is, say you're 12th level, you have 12 hit dice. Does that mean you you only gain back six? Or that you, or that you gain back half of the what you spent. I, I think it's supposed to be half. It says ha the, the wording is half of your spent. So if you had spent all your hit dice, you would regain six the first night. If you lost no further ones, the next night you'd get three back. Okay. Right. I mean that's the way. I, if I read the rules, yeah. that's what it's saying, which is fascinating. Yeah. But so it really, yeah. You know, it takes you several nights to to regain everything back. Yeah. Um, okay. Interesting. Yeah, because it does say so, spent, not total. Yeah. So what? Uh, so what are some recommendations you have for DMs who are 
going to get into this sort of overland exploration, overland travel piece of, of gaming? So I would say start with a session zero for sure. Figure out your players to what extent they want to track supplies, forage, do things like that. Uh, figure out whether there's a ranger with favorite terrain because that's going to change the, the, the grid of it. Focus when you're creating, when you're looking at that map and you, they're going, you know they're going from point A to point B, work on that engagement, right? We're going to uncover the land in this path. The blank map's going to get filled in. And we wanted to get filled in with really cool stories, choices, engagement. Um, and, you know, create that, that tale that's going to stand out uh, beyond the rules of it. Right. Cool. Uh, where can people find the random encounter uh, article that you worked on recently? Alphastream.org. Uh, okay. It covers all about the different techniques to use random encounters. Uh, other recommendations I'd say is weather and light are great tools. This is a really cool opportunity to use that limitless expense uh, effects budget that we have right? Mm -hmm. uh, your outdoors can be full of really cool weather, uh, lightning, it can be snowstorms or mudslides that tell stories. Um, and mm -hmm. even if all you're doing is a role-playing encounter, and I don't mean to minimize role-playing, but if, if what you're doing is a role-playing encounter, it's, it's different when it's in the pouring rain and everybody's talking mm -hmm. through their leather, you know, hoods and stuff like that versus yeah. when it's just yeah. on a sunny day, like we always expect. Um, yeah, true. Yeah. And, and, you know, take a look at Tomb of Annihilation. I think that's probably the published adventure that does the most to use these rules. Uh, and it has a number of really cool techniques. Like it uses different zones. It divides the map up. So you have areas that are full of undead. You have the sort of mysterious far south. You have coastal areas with pirates, volcanic ash area, flaming fist patrol area, right? You, you, and that's a good way to think about your travel to kind of drop these zones and then you can tell stories that make those zones resonate you're going through the goblin lands or through the orc kingdom um you are going through this you know elven kingdom that has these characteristics right that all is a way for you to tell stories uh you can have short quests that are tied to the map the way to move annihilation does right you find the lost city of nanglor and that's got something to do and it has a mini quest and things like that. And you learn more. There's more story. There's payoff for discovering those hexes. That's really important. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, do that. Uh, have each day of travel take you further. And that's always my goal as a DM when I run exploration. I'm mm -hmm. helping them discover the world, weather, biomes, monsters, uh, dinosaurs, strange fruit, carvings from ancient civilization, undead with symbols on their forehead, all of this. Let's, them, uh, let's the players feel the world. I'm reinforcing the plot, uh, mm -hmm. flaming fist patrols, right? Uh, redirecting mm -hmm. the party. Like maybe there's a lost order of the gauntlet guard who's trying to return to camp because that's really where the players were supposed to go. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, you know, save the lost order of the gauntlet guard who's being attacked by dinosaurs, reinforces the dinosaur feel, sends them back to the right in the right direction. Yeah. Highlight party interests. So if they took great pains to help the order of the gauntlet, how about we just have a successful patrol come along and update them on the progress at the camp? Um, if they spared the life of some grung, maybe the grung show up to help fight a big monster. Yeah. Uh, just lots of ways that you can make all of those, whether they're random or planned encounters and those trips really become part of the larger story. Uh, when, yep. when I the, the consequences for and those. The consequences and the, and the payoff. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. When Ice Road Trackers comes out, which you wrote, I think that is a really nice exploration example um, in a very focused, short run setting. And, you know, kind of one shot mm -hmm. feel that gives you that idea of trekking through a forest, traps, compelling situations, engagement, choices that pay off or punish, depending on what you do. Um, mm -hmm. So that's a good example of that. Yep. The last thing I would end with is that uh, on tribality.com, uh, Tomas Jimenez Rioja has a two-part series on hex crawls with an emphasis on using the idea of the biomes. Um, mm -hmm. And so uh, check out his guide to hex crawling series. I've been able to, to meet and talk with him recently as part of the one of the DMs running games in Spanish. Uh, he also runs mm -hmm. great games in English. Um, so yeah, check out Tomas's articles on tribality and we'll have a, a link in the show notes. 
Awesome. Wow. We, uh, we explored a lot of ground in these last three episodes on exploration. Uh, thank you so much for being our guide uh, through this, Teos. You know, I have my body's kind of covered in leeches. Is that bad? Yeah. No, no, okay. I think that's good. It's, it's, it's good for you, right? Doctors used to do that all the time. Right, okay. And thank you, patrons, and thank you, listeners, for being our guides and letting us know what you like to hear. Uh, if you like the show and you would consider becoming a patron for the show, you can find us at patreon.com slash MMP. Anywhere from $1 to $10. Uh, are there different tiers for what you get? But you always get us at our best, even if we only had two or three hours of sleep because, you know, we were out exploring and, and we're on watch. <laughs> and uh, Teos, where can people find you on social media? Thank you, Sean. Uh, I can be found on Twitter at AlphaStream or AlphaStream.org, my blog. Excellent. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin, or you can talk to both Teos and I on the forums at forums.misdirectedmark.com. Down with D&D is a Misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. So, Teos, now that we've explored this strange and wonderful land, what are we going to do now? We're going to kill some monsters and take their supplies because we're running low. Yeah, I need some water. <laughs> Thanks, Sean. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? This whole party. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know me.